<laughs> yo. Yo. Jason, what up, yo? What up? Hey, uh, welcome to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records catalog in chronological order. And this episode, we are at Rev O. 021? Yep, that's right. What, what would you say? 021 or 021? Or 21? Uh, any of them work. Yeah, I mean, I, when I n- number them, I put 021. Yeah. So, but you would say O oh, usually, you know, like O oh, Dark 30, right? Yeah. You don't know what I'm talking so, about. Yeah, so, yeah, 21. Yeah, so we <laughs> I've been, are, I've been uh, drinking. 2021. Yeah, yeah. 21. I've been 21, drinking all 2021, night. Been drinking, been drinking kombucha all afternoon. <laughs> and we are talking about Super Touch, The Earth is Flat. But first, before we get into that, I will kick off something. I know that Greg here has something he wants to say about last episode, but I'll kick that off by saying that we got a text message today. From friend of the pod, Jason Shrout. He's a drummer from Kansas. I don't know. Kansas City or Kansas. That's the same thing, right? And uh, he plays in a band called Trial, you might have heard. And he played in a band called 18 Visions at one point, I guess. And he says that Porcel was not listed in the notes for the storm cassette so the cassette version of the storm seven inch which has the extra song and he sent us a scan of it and sure enough it says sammy mike lars and matt and there's and it no- says and it says lars second guitar though so because like, <laughs> we saw it we, we saw it right but it doesn't say that on the seven inch layout Right? Yeah. It's got them all. Let's take a look. Yeah. On the yeah, on the seven inch layout, it, it says Matt Porcel guitar one, Lars guitar two, Matt bass, Sam, Sam drums. So it's okay. that, but just the guitar one is removed. So that's interesting that to go from you know seven inch to cassette would have that big of a typo. Like I mean, we'll find out in a couple weeks that there was another typo that slipped by for a long time, but I'm not going to juge that one right now. But, typo uh, negative. You're not going to jugged it. Jugged, I'm not that, jugged. Uh, that shall not be jugged right now. But <laughs> yeah. Greg, what do you got to say about it? Wait, you so, received a special message, correct? I did. I received a special message from friend of the pod and just all around great human being, Mike Judge. Um, who said he did enjoy the episode. He had wished he could make it. He uh, wasn't able to. Um, So I'm going to read a little bit of what he wrote. He said, there's a lot of specifics I don't remember about that record. What I do remember is that in my mind, I knew it was coming to an end. Mm. I had many outside pressures on me at home. When the other guys were talking about going to Europe, I was figuring out how I was going to have a place to live, that kind of thing. So if it was going to end... I needed to use those lyrics for forget this time. They were personal and I thought would sum up why I wasn't like everyone else around me. As they say, that was me bleeding out on paper. The Zeppelin cover was done mainly because I thought the line, if it keeps on raining, the levee's going to break, 
was a good way to tell everyone that it was all becoming too much for me and I wasn't able to do it justice anymore. Having Todd playing harp, uh, harmonica on it was Fury's idea. It was a studio decision and Todd pulled it off. I love that he's on it, especially now that he's gone. There's so much more to it, but you get the basics. Thanks for the good words about us and take care. So, I mean, Mike. Yeah, that's great. Honest dude, straight shooter. And like reading that, I got like chills a little bit. It it gives you a whole new appreciation for him and for Judge and just the lyrical content and the – in honesty and sincerity in the lyrics so man he's just so raw right yeah. and and you can tell in his voice like his voice is raw the lyrics are raw he's putting himself out there and really did change the way that people write in hardcore bands i think agreed yeah. i was just going to say hearing his perspective on those last two songs makes that inappropriate last seven inch for mm-hmm. judge yeah their swan song yeah agreed yeah. so my thought on the seven inches changed just from that message so nice thank you for sharing that yeah, yeah thanks, thank mike. you mike thank you and thank yeah you, i was gonna say you see why so many people latched on to judge in a way that they might not necessarily have latched on to other bands of that era because it's just so real yeah like our our we mentioned before nathan bean he said that too. Like I was one of those fucked up kids that latched on to judge more than chain of strength or whatever, you know, like it just was more relatable to a lot of people who maybe came from a broken home or from not the suburbs or whatever it is, you know, it's just a little bit more music for the common man, common person, sorry, common person. it, it, It makes you, feel like you're not alone i think too because there Uh are times where even though you're a part of a group you really don't feel like you fit in you feel like you're on a different planet you know than everybody else and it's like Mm -hmm. ah and you know mike coming clean with that like i know how that feels because i think we've all been there where even in a group of uh your friends sometimes maybe you just feel and even amongst friends, you felt far from home. Yes, surrounded by people. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's the same same deal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. Thanks, thanks to Mike for sharing that. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yes, thank I, you. I, is now an appropriate time to drink it? Shout it! <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, who? Who's our? Do we have a sponsor for this episode? Yeah, bit of bow. Mm-hmm. War Records, www.war-rec.com. Uh, and if you enter in the code where it went in all caps, you'll get 10% off. And they made a huge announcement. Yeah. Uh, this, well, at the time of recording this, this week, um, Terror. What's up with Terror, Jason? Greg. Tell us what's up with them. <laughs> I'll tell you. So listen, Terror is putting out a new record with the fucking riff master, Todd Jones. Yes. A part of the record. And they're doing so much crazy shit with this record. Like there's a glow in the dark uh, version with an OB strip that's sold out already. They've got merch bundles. 
They've got deals with, uh, if you go to sticktight.la, there's merch deals, but there's like all kinds of stuff. There's different colors of vinyl. There's one of those like DJ sleeves. In a and bundle. it was all selling out quick, right? Because yeah. I would yeah, see I was it was say, up, by the time and then I would see it was out, sold out. Yeah, you might not be able to get any. And yeah. like for people who love terror, like like the three of us do, and I'm sure most people listening, um, Todd coming back, yeah, that's that's huge. That's like you know finding out that Ace Freely's coming back to Kiss. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that. I mean, seriously, to me in hardcore, that's that's that that big of a deal. And I honestly enjoy all the terror records. I did. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, but yeah, it's not Todd, one of those things where it's like Todd made terror, like not at all. Terror no. has flourished for the past. Exactly. What, but it's still just decade. a great, it's just great. It's a great news. E- even if Todd just, if it was announced like, Hey, Todd's going to be sitting in the studio with them and producing, but no, it's like, he's helping to write stuff. And right. Well, this record is just a live in studio of like reworked. Well, not reworked, but they're just doing versions of his era. So like they put up a, ver- um, the, the version of overcome, which was from one with the underdogs, which was the last album that Todd was on. Mm-hmm. And it sounds freaking great. So this LP, everybody knows the songs, but they said in in late spring, they're going into the studio to do a new uh, studio record mm-hmm. and Todd will be writing and producing. That's so going to be sick. That's going to be awesome. So yeah. it's, it, it, I'm sure it's going to be just a monster. And all this artwork looks so good. Yeah. So I'll probably order a shirt. You know me. Yeah, no, the, it does. I saw yeah, that, that site, rad. Jason, that had the... Um, one step closer jacket has this sick terror tracks. Did you see it? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Those, uh, uh, God, hold on. Yeah. You know, who'd love that. We got to edit hardcore suit, man. uh, Yeah. It's, it's, uh, one step closer. It's called like gold. Goldman. Okay. So this, (laughs) so the website's called gold set merch.com and they do like, really interesting merch um like track suits with the stripe going down the side that says terror they make like anoraks and um like water bottle holders and uh fanny packs they had gloves i i want to say and i could be wrong about this i feel like someone from trail of lies is involved with this uh, merch company, maybe even the singer, um, oh. Tom Dom. Um, this looks good. They did Terror Slides, which is doesn't you know, it look good? They, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, you should order this. There's really cool stuff. So I, I'm trust me, hardcore suit man. Was, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> you want to look like a Sherpa, a one step closer <laughs> Sherpa. <laughs> no, that I, I thought that. I mean, I can't. I, I'm not in the market for something like that, but I thought it looked sure. really cool and the gloves. Yeah, it looks like, great. It was a really neat it's it's a neat idea. It's just something yeah, totally different. Cool. Uh and Rev has kind of been doing similar stuff lately with the merch. You know, they did the judge water bottles and they've been doing stuff a little bit different. Um, a lot of champion stuff and dad hats. And you know, I think it's an interesting and kind of it, it reminds me of the experimental stuff of the nineties, 
when people yes. started making soccer, Snapcase made soccer jerseys. Work shirts. You know, and, and work, the embroidered work shirts from New Age Records and yeah. um, lots of coaches' jackets and, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's cool. And uh, What's a piece of old rev merch that you no longer have that you wish you still had oh you mean like the into another embroidered hat yes that was mine i I have a tie i have the embroidered hats that they gave one up when we were on tour they gave us iceburn was it iceburn hats i know there was far side Uh embroidered hats there was far side but also i had a texas is the reason embroidered zip up uh-huh. which I'm sure people have seen. It was like Navy. Sure. And uh, I wish I, I don't remember that. I still had that. Yeah. yeah nice. I had this that would really be sick now. I had this cool gorilla biscuits shirt that was like Kelly green. Uh, they did the design on Kelly green and forest green and it's got the GB in black. And then underneath says gorilla biscuits in yellow. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, so, send me a cool. pick. I, I can't, yeah. I don't remember that one. I probably um, remember myself, but yeah. So, Anyone else that we need to bid at bow on this episode? What do we got? Jason, what did you uh, do this week? I was a guest on Ace Stallings podcast, Form of Passion. Anyone that's not familiar, I suggest you go and listen to Jared Carmen's episode uh, from Trapped Under Ice. And then after you're done with that, you can listen to Porter. And after you're done with that, you can maybe check out mine. But I have a new fond respect for every guest we've interviewed that misremembers dates and places because I definitely did that. But it's up. Check it out. AceX Edge on Instagram. And I'll probably put a link out there somewhere. Yeah, because by, by the time this one airs, that will be already out there in the ether. Yeah, right? it's going to come out tomorrow. Okay, cool. So yeah. I appreciate him taking the time. And also, I want to shout out, I want to bid up Bo Greg's podcast, Something to Do, talking about two of my favorite bands, two of his favorite bands, The Replacements and Who's Could Do. Thank you. We're, I'm, we're trying, we, I want to do a Flip Your Wig is the next record we're doing, Who's Could Do, Flip Your Wig. Uh, we're just trying to nail down a time. It's tough yeah. with scheduling, but uh, I appreciate people that have reached out because it's super fun to do because I love those. And, you know, it also because we're always doing the interviews and it's kind of uh-huh. it's a little more relaxing because it's just me and, and jude talking about the stuff we love and uh you know it's, it's fun and so i picked up you. stink this week so that's why it was yes fresh on my head that i wanted to bring it up but also uh i was also no, uh informed that dave mandel friend of the pod good friend of ours is uh he put up a benefit shirt, a Stripe benefit shirt for his sister uh, that has cancer. And I think that everyone should go. And if you're not going to order the shirt, go to the GoFundMe and donate some money to our good friend, Dave Mandel. Uh, I think the shirt's already, the pre-order's done. I was actually going to say, I, I thought the pre-order has been long done. Yeah, but... it, was, it was done last week. So go to GoFundMe. <laughs> And donate yeah, no, that's some money. Fine. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't if you didn't get a chance to get the shirt, yeah. Hit the GoFundMe. You know, I fucking pre-ordered that shirt on the first day it went up because oh, so I yes, love I... the Mandels and I love Strife, and it was just kind of a win-win. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh I wanted to give a bit of bow to spinning out podcast. Um I was a guest on there. Um spinning out is done by my friend Josh Robbins. He 
uh, plays in a bunch of bands, uh, including uh, Late Bloomer, who are on 6131, uh, you know, Friends of the Pod. Yeah. Richmond, uh, you know, and of course, Sean, who was actually a guest on there. He had a two-part episode, uh, Sean from 6131, talking about Civ Set Your Goals. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I that's listen topical. To that. yeah. And so basically the premise on spinning out is he has uh, Josh interviews different people and they talk about a specific album, but it goes off topic in like a good way. Like the album is sort of the central thread that ties everything together, but it's, it's not like a necessarily a linear discussion. Um, Norman Brannon was on there as well, talking about, um, a Touche Amore album. Um, we love Norman. And, uh, I got to talk about one of my all time favorite records, uh, U2, the Joshua tree. And that'll also be out by the time this airs. So check out spinning out podcast, give them a Instagram follow at spinning out pod. And, uh, you'll get all the updates about the different episodes. All right. Well, should we dive in? Let's do it. Let's talk Get about down. How, uh, talk about how the earth is flat. Well, why don't we, we'll get kicked off into the interview. So what's up everybody today? We are on episode 21. Crazy, right? We're we're now legal and we are here talking about one of my absolute favorite, you know, full disclosure. I've probably mentioned it before. My favorite revelation LPs, super touch. The earth is flat. But it's not just me and Javier and Jason talking because nobody really wants to hear that. It, it, we have here Mark Ryan and uh, John Viviano from Supertouch. What's up, guys? How are you doing? Nice to be here. Yes, thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for hanging out. So I guess I'm trying to think of, you know, we usually try not to get too much. We fo- try to focus on the record, but, you know, we have to talk a little bit, I guess, about the background and of the band. Um, you know, we know that you started as Death Before Dishonor. Yeah, you had like Mike Judge in the band at one yeah. point. Mike DBD, I'm sure he was known Mike at the DBD. time. Yeah. And DBD. you know, you did the Searching for the Light, which, if you've listened to our previous episodes, was my hot track for both comps. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we you you did those comps, but then you did a seven inch that wasn't on Revelation. I always wondered why. Why was that first seven inch not with Revelation? Was it um, reason or just we did it with with our friend Dave Stein in combined effort? Um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I think may, I don't know. Maybe we were trying to go against the grain a little bit for the way it is comp. Did you record an, uh, another song that was unreleased? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, that song was called Inner Strength at the time. And that song eventually became What If. Yeah, that was my question. The, the riffs, the main riff became What If, but it was the original. The first version was called Inner Strength. Okay. Is that 
recordings still unreleased? I, I don't. I don't have it. Yeah, that that tape is lost. I, I don't know who. I have two hundred. Yeah, yeah I, found, I found it on YouTube, and I noticed oh. the similarities to "What If," and then yeah. the different lyrics that were used on the song. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it sounded awesome to me, but why did that not come out on the LP? The way it is LP. Mm. Do you remember? I think we were just not happy with the way it it came out. Um, uh, we were still in a sense, kind of writing it at the same time. Okay. So we kind of just went for it. And then listening back, we were like, well, let's just do give them searching and inner strength will need to be worked on eventually. We, I, I, I think we were just not happy with it. Oh, yeah. We also, um, I thought we were under the impression that we were supposed to do like the same song, I mm. think. That's right. Yeah. The, and, then the it, and then it came back and a bunch of people had different versions and two songs yeah. and all kinds yeah. of weird stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, it was I, a different version of, of searching for the, yeah. like a, yeah. it had the ending uh, yeah. extended outro. Yeah. We tried to flip it up a little. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if this has come up, but yeah, Walt, Walter played on the seven inch on yes. the comp. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, and we, we talked to him ab- about it. Um, and we were like, Hey, should, should like should we not put Juice and show on like almost every band, you know? And he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> may, maybe." Because he also played on that Warzone song on the yeah. seven-inch yeah. version, yeah. right? Yeah. Or did he play on the? I can't even keep track. Yeah, yeah. I know Walter did play on a Warzone. He played bass on a Warzone recording. Yeah. I think it was okay. one of the comp ones. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I wish we we just put him, you know. But when you're like a teenager, you're, you're a little weird. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that we were talking about, we just wrapped up the Judge the Storm 7-inch, and I was talking about how when you're in a band, a lot of times you're just like, hey, we're going to write these songs, and we're going to put it out, and there's not like a master plan, and you're not thinking that in 30 years you're going to get interviewed for a podcast about it, and you're going to have to answer these questions about it by these fucking nerds, or, you know, it's just like, hey, we made these songs, and like, we did it, and that's cool. And yeah. So, so sometimes in hindsight, you're like, oh, I wish I would have done this or I wish that we could have done this or we could have, you know, recorded this in a different studio or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, that's I do that all the time. Yeah. So even going back to these guys jumped the gun a little bit because I wanted to talk a little bit more about Death Before Dishonor and the formation of that and then the, you know, the transformation from Death Before Dishonor into Super Touch. So yeah so um sorry um yeah mike um mike and the you brothers were in a band called future confusion and um kind of morphed into death before dishonor and billy psycho was playing drums and um mike was singing um and i was like i sang like a couple always sang a couple songs for them i'd sing like um artificial peace against the grain and maybe something else and Mike was like, I think, like, you should sing, Mark, and I'll play drums. I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, we played for a while, and, you know, I think Steve quit, Jimmy quit. I, I forget the order. But we, we grabbed Biv to replace Steve, and it just, like, kind of morphed into something else. You know, it kind of slowly became Super Touch. And I 
this is a, a weird confession. I've never heard death before dishonor. I don't know if there's a recording of it. I've never, I just, to me, it I was think, always almost like a, like a urban legend, you yeah. know, it was like, Oh, there's this death before dishonor. And it turned into judge and super touch and stuff like that. So could you describe the sound of death before dishonor? And then what were you thinking to kind of slow it down or change it to become super touch? Um, yeah. So it it was like, you know, kind of typical, not typical hardcore, but kind of, you know, just kind of typical hardcore, but definitely influenced by like artificial peace and kind of DC stuff. Um, and um, climbing, climbing aboard, it was actually a, a Death Before Dishonor song that kind of made it to um, Super Touch. Um, yeah, so that, that was... Yeah, it just kind of evolved, I guess, with, with different. I mean, yeah, it was it was weird the way we did it, you know, just like keeping the name. You know, that like kind of slow change was kind of weird. And what kind of stuff were you listening to when you did the transformation into Super Touch? Because to to me, as like you know, a, a fan of Revelation Records or hardcore, you know, it. it it doesn't sound like anything else up until this point on the Revelation Records catalog. And I know that we've talked about when, you know, by 1990, people are experimenting. They're experimenting with sound. They're experimenting with the bands that they're listening to. They're experimenting with drugs. You know, they're yeah. kind of like getting into all this weird shit. And it's, it's not just thrash, punk, you know, can't close my eyes stuff anymore. It's now like, oh, we're listening to fucking Jane's Addiction and yeah. we're listening to uh, you know, this weird Britpop and stuff. So what were you listening to that influenced you to, to kind of shift gears, really? Um, I, I think I kind of always had that. Um, I always kind of wanted to do something different, even even right in the beginning. I, my, you know, like Scream is one of my favorite bands. And I think like Jason sees me smiling. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> and, and I think like, I think when, when you hang out with, when you have that spirit of, of, of being punk and like wanting to be different and then you're hanging out with all punks, you're like, Oh, I want to be different from them now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of that and a lot of just, you know, we all love music and, and it was also the time too, you know, it was that, you know, you just wanted to like expand your horizons. And um, I, I, I think we kind of, for me, I definitely went like past my, the scope of my talent and, you know, maybe went a little too far, like trying to sing early on, like when I wasn't quite there yet, you know? Yeah, that sounds like a, a lot of, I always wonder that, like, how do people find their voice? Like, are you just singing in the car, you're singing in the shower, you're singing wherever, and then all of a sudden you're like, this is what my singing voice sounds like, and I'm going to lay it down on tape, you know? So finding that voice and not having any maybe instruction or like vocal lessons or coaching or anything, yeah. it's, it's hard and it's scary. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's a big thing with me. And um I, I'm, I feel like I'm just finding it now. You know, I mean, I have, I have like, 
I had like the elements there, but finding it and being able to, um, to work with it, it, I'm just like learning how to do that now with this new record. I was like, I, I didn't want to put out like, I didn't want to just like wing something and like do the, like, you know, that, that's good. And like, kind of like rely on like, um, I didn't want to be like a caricature of myself or, so I was like, let me, let me figure this out. Like, let me try to figure out how to translate what I've been hearing in my head all these years and make it happen. And I, I kind of went in and, uh, well, first I, the first thing I did, you know, I kind of grew up in small apartments and, um, all I wanted to do my whole life was sing, but I was never able to sing in my apartment because you can't belt with like people on both sides of you, people above you, people yeah. below you. So he's kind of like whisper sang and it was weird and it wasn't, it didn't really, wasn't really that satisfying. And then when I would, the only time I would be able to sing was, you know, singing with a hardcore band when I was like 13 years old and and just going in right away and like, like go, having your shoulders up like that and making like a fist with your throat. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really like um, allow for you to grow like in a healthy way. You're like, cause you're like working off of bad habits. Um, and I, I think people like, you know, Richie Birkenhead and Walter, I feel like they, they probably sang before. I, I know Richie did like his family's, musicians you know and they sang before and i think i think that was like i think a lot of good singers and hardcores sang sang before they were in hardcore bands um yeah definitely like uh, you know i and it's weird in hardcore when the people you know you hear so like for instance searching for the light like to go back to that really stands out on both of both of the compilations because it just sounds like nothing like it doesn't sound like anything else and then you know this the lp that we're going to talk about same thing like it doesn't it doesn't sound like anything else or, or like that was on revelation at that time so that's why i was always like javier kind of wondering like what what the what the influences are because i always same heard like a later scream uh more the I, DC I, stuff. yeah i think all scream all, all like all the discord stuff yeah. and like, like the you know especially like all of it you know like our, like um i was um djing one night with my friend gibby miller and um oh a bit about gibby i know gibby. Yeah, was, yeah um and he put on like a marginal man track and he was like he was like yo like you definitely like picked up a lot of of your vibe from this dude and i was mm. like yeah, he, he yeah. was like, he was like, yeah, like I said, with with like that first version of DVD, the first song I ever sang was like an artificial peace song, but I, I just felt connected to that kind of like, that like raspy kind of like a little bit slower vibe. I kind of talk a little slower anyway, you know, and <laughs> my voice kind of heavy, so. It, well, I always thought it sounded, to me, it sounded natural, like, like yeah. on this LP, like it didn't sound like somebody putting on a voice. It just sounded like this is how Mark Ryan sounds. And I wanted to know too, musically for you, Biv, like on, cause you're doing some, especially on this LP, you're doing some next levels shit on the guitar. Like what, 
what are your influences? And because, like I said, there's so many parts on this record that are like nothing you've ever heard on a hardcore record before. All right. Well, going back to searching for the light, we'll start yeah, with that. Any, yeah. Any. Um, I those riffs came just. I mean, what I was listening to. I mean, big into ACDC. So I want you know I always like big chords, you know big, you know big chords that ring out, and uh, and Iron and Iron Maiden like a lot of the the new wave of British heavy metal that that's what I grew up listening to, and uh, how I how I wrote I wrote the music with Mike Mike Judge, uh, he picked me up in his car and he brought me back to his where he lived and that farm that was in Montville. Beautiful, huge property, and he had a, a room somewhere in the garage where his drums were. And I just, I just showed him these riffs and you know, big open A chord, and and I kind of, I, I just tried to explain him like you know, intro, you know, to hit that, da, 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 you know, and like you know, throw your whole, throw your whole body at it, you know, like, like, like uh, you know, like ACDC, you know, just commit your whole body to it, hit it, and it just grew from there. It's just, yeah. Play, play big. That that's what I wanted to do. I fill fill the room with sound. That that was the aim. And that, that makes sense because it has like Super Touch has a real rock vibe to it, and not yeah. in in a cheesy way. Um, yeah. Again, going back to like Scream. You know when we yeah. when we talked to Chris Bratton about because he played in in Wool for a while with the Stahl Brothers, and we talked about the influence that you know even that that first scream record still screaming like after that, even like minor threat out of step, like added those more rock traditional rock sound than just straight up thrash. Yeah. And um, I always thought that with, with super touch as well, like there's like just straight up rock music in it, but it works. It doesn't sound like it was like shoehorned in. Like, you know, there are some of the bands from the eighties that tried to go the full like rock route and it didn't really work out. Um, well, and, definitely for me, the bands that stuck with me, you know, were definitely Agnostic Front, the Cro-Mags, Crumb Suckers. I, I, that was always also in the front of my mind. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be as powerful as them too. You keep keep that energy. Don't don't steer too far away from that. Let's let's keep all the influences together and and funnel it through and 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 make it us. Yeah. That that was my aim, you know. Yeah. Keep keep all of that in mind. Right, the Chromex were my favorite band as a teenager. I saw them as many times as I possibly could, and they they were powerful. Four piece and five piece, and the Bad Brains, and the Bad Brains. Yeah. So were the Bad Brains. I mean, we you know for us the, the Bad Brains are you know one of my top favorite bands. So they they were definitely as good as everybody says, if not better. Like you watch the videos, and it's one thing, but being there i just can't even imagine how to be like transcendent yeah i've still i've still not nothing like that in my life you know i've still never experienced anything like that again in my life the the first time i saw them was uh they they had broken up right in 84 yeah back in the summer of 85 and i saw them at uh the jane street rock hotel and it's yeah mind-blowing just wow and did wow. super touch play with bad brands at one point 
Yeah, and um, what year was it? I think that was 88. Okay. Yeah. That was the worst night of my life. Why? Uh, for everything that could have went wrong, for me, it did that night. It's like we opened with uh, the intro and to climbing aboard. And I, right at the end of climbing aboard, the E string, pop, bang, just broken, broken string. And I didn't have a backup guitar. I, I had one guitar. And so there was a, a good amount, it, it seemed like forever, between that and getting into the next song. And thankfully, I think his name was Mick. He was the guitar player of Token Entry. He comes and he puts a guitar in my hand. And I said, oh, bless you. Thank you. I mean, this set's over. Yeah. I don't have a backup guitar. And he brought, he brought me a guitar and tuned it up as quickly as possible. And we got right back. I think there was like three to five minutes of just us scrambling, me trying, trying to save. And this That's, is in front of like 3,000 people. And that's an eternity when you're on stage. That's oh, yeah, it is. That's that's cool. Cool. Like a 20, 30 I minute set. I have nightmares about that today. <laughs> Worst night of my life. Oh, man. How <laughs> were the Bad Brains at that point, 88? Oh, they were good. They were really good. Yeah. yeah. I, that wasn't HR, though, that night. Yeah, it was uh, Taj. Oh, wow. You're, so I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that saw them with, with Taj. I've yeah. talked to them with Israel, but. Yeah. Taj was was cool. He, he was really good. You know, I mean, those are big shoes to fill. You know, yeah, huge. And um, yeah, it, it, I think we it was a really good show for us, though. Aside from that, aside from uh, did did anyone well, a lot of people liked us? Did anyone yeah. in the Bad Brains camp comment on your name? Um, oh, I don't, no, I don't think they, so. They they, um, they commented on us. And they said they dug us, and they also is a little weird. But they were like, "Yo, that singer's like got a, like an ill style." Because I think oh, I came nice. out came out in like a Georgetown starter jacket. <laughs> That's sick. Well, that actually brings up a question: is like you have often been regarded as one of the first people, Mark, to really bring like the hip hop style into hardcore, or you know, uh, New York hardcore. Was that just so you were listening to the DC stuff, but also uh, like a bunch uh, of hip hop? Yeah, I've been yeah, I've been listening to hip hop since the beginning. I love hip hop. Um, Walters yeah. talked about that, you know, like especially eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. Like that was just kind of the soundtrack to walking down the street in New York yeah. City, right? Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of the kind of sports stuff for us. Um, came from my love of hip hop. You know, my my original intent with rocking some of that stuff wasn't like from a sports angle. I think it was more like kind of like a hip hop angle, even though I I, I mean, I, I love like the Hoyas and the Knicks and stuff. Yeah, because you had like a different presence. Like, you know, I watched it. There was that video on YouTube from 1992, uh, Middlesex uh in jersey and you just have this like swagger on stage that was different than like like you know the other front men at that time like it's nothing like what yeah. even though ray capo phenomenal front oh man, yeah insane different different style different style yeah but he yeah he's insane front man um yeah i i, I think i just said that because i sometimes i look back i'm like oh because I, I was never like a jock 
you know, nothing against people. I, I think playing sports is like a healthy thing and a great thing, but I was never a jock. And I was like, did I like wind up like dressing like a jock? I was like, so, you know, like trying to be different so much. I just wound up dressing like a jock after like a certain amount of time. Well, I think a lot of that is just fashion. And especially in the late 80s, early 90s, when we didn't have the Instagram to, you know, show us stuff about fashion. And it's yeah. like, you you liked colors. You liked the yeah. certain colors. I remember I had a Houston Astros hat when I was a skater because it was a, a fitted hat and it was cool colors. I didn't fucking know who the Astros were. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's it was, what I was going to say. Like everyone had like a Charlotte yeah. Hornets starter jacket. Yeah. I, you know, nobody, half the people never watched a single game. It was just like, that was the style then. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Jordan, even with Jordans too, like Rock and Air Jordans, like I have some fucking AJKOs in the closet. Like I don't, I, I don't, I don't play, I don't ball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still like, I still like sneakers and yeah. some other gear like that. But I think sometimes, you know, I would veer like a little too far, like mm-hmm. in a like kind of regular jock dude type type of thing that like made me like get into punk in the first place to be to get away from that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. like almost like you made it to such a left turn that it you like turned back around. But I but I think it makes sense. I think for the context of the times. Yeah. And and they, they talked about that with originally wearing varsity jackets too, because you know all the like kind of seedier new york hardcore bands wearing leather jackets and boots and chains and stuff like that so they're like we're not that's not us we're gonna wear uh varsity jackets you know and kind of look a little more collegiate yeah i heard some things about the record i heard that this was going to be a 10 inch at first and not an lp if you remember Mm, that i don't remember i we were always aiming for a 12 always to make a full length that's what we wanted to do yeah, and I believe that's what Jordan wanted out of us. Oh, go, sorry, Jay, I didn't Oh, hear. I was going to say, and I, and I also heard that you guys were talking to um, Darcy from the Smashing Pumpkins and James Eha about their label Scratchy Records, about doing the full length with them. That um, was in 95, 96. Oh, yeah. okay. Much so, later, yeah. So, yeah, if you, if you um, it's floating around that, uh, that track, Flying High. Um, that's right. I think Triple B did a flexi with it. Um, yeah, that was a song we did that made got those Smashing Pumpkin guys on people into us. Okay, nice. That's a while. So it was and was that done? I know we're jumping around, but at the same time as like uh, the Antimatter song, Better, same yeah. session. Um, yeah. Well, no, that, that was a different session. Okay. I, I, the song was I, written at the same time. Yeah, okay. and we. Okay. Yeah, we, we were were we broke. We were broken up. When, when they took that song, right? Which one? Better? Better. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, had, we had disbanded. 96. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's when, because we, we did a whole episode on that comp with Norman and, uh, you know, talked about every track. So for those who haven't heard, go check out that episode. Yeah. It's fun. Um, so, yeah, like Jason said, sort of going back to the record. So you do the seven inch with combined effort. But then this LP ends up being with Revelation. So how how did that come about? Did Jordan really like the seven inch and reach out to you, or were you guys just like, hey, let's work together? You know, we did the comps. Let's let's do a full length. 
Dave, do you remember? Oh, he he always really liked the band. He he would come see us live. He'd see us at the Anthrax. He he loved us. Um, and he always he always did want to do something with us, and the the time was right. He's let's let's do a full length. It, it, he was very proactive with that, and and that's how that's how it came about. So this we're thinking what year is it? Like, 89, 90, that's, that's when the plan really started to come together. We're going to do a full length with Revelation. And Jordan really wanted to do this. Okay. Yeah. yeah and then I see you went to Normandy Sound, not mm-hmm. Don, you know, Don Fury was like the, you know, most of the Rev releases, it seems like we're, we're there. And of course we know, we talked to Judge and they did it Normandy Sound. Yeah. Um, so what was that experience like at, you know, from what everything we've heard about Normandy sound was like a real deal, big studio, you know, they recorded like new kids on the block and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What was that like for you guys to, to go into that studio? You want to start Mark or? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. Uh, I think back then, like we didn't know what we were doing and we kind of only recorded a couple of times and really quickly. And back then I think, you know, you're young and you're like, oh, we'll go, to, we'll go to this like really nice studio and know like they'll work their magic and make this a great thing without being like, oh, do they listen to this type of music? Are they, you know, are they invested in this? Like, are they going to be able to like talk with us like about getting sounds? And I, I I don't think it was the best choice. I, I, I mean, Jamie was a really nice guy and he was really cool and he did what he can with what he, what he's working with and the amount of time. Um, but you know, when I heard Norm, Norman on the other episode, Norman Brandon on the other episode, he's like, I wish I produced the earth this flat. I was like, I wish you did too. man. <laughs> well, well, what, what do see? I, I, you know, it's always when you're a fan, and you guys are probably like this too with records you like where you think it sounds great and the artists will say, oh, this, this is terrible. I mean, what is it about this record that you think like that maybe you're like, oh, I wish this was done better? Because to me, it sounds the quality of it is pretty top tier. Like I, you know, kind of forgot that it was done at Normandy Sound until more recently when I was actually looking through the record. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I just don't think it sounds like us. And what we sounded like at that, it doesn't like really capture our personality. Like to me, it's almost like um, if the only picture that existed of you from like a certain era was like a, a picture you took at Sears or like your mm-hmm. yearbook photo. That's what I feel like this album is. Okay. That's like a good- the- let, me, let me try and explain. Um, I know for Andy and for Joe, you know, they were really influenced by the sound that the Chromags and Leeway got at this studio. And these are great sounding records and they really wanted that. Um, it, it is what, this was a very professional studio and it was also very, very expensive. And we did not have the budget that those bands had, of course. So- and we, and, we, in, and, we, and we sound different. Uh, yeah, yeah, and there, there were just there were things that um, we they they had that that really big producer named Tom Soares who 
Right. We couldn't afford. I mean, so we're working with his assistant, Jamie Locke, who was very good. And and for me, uh, what I got out of this was the, the, the discipline. And I really learned how to you know, lay down a track and then double it exactly and then triple it exactly. And this guy, this guy worked me hard and said, listen to what you did here and, and, and get it right again and, and really get this tight. I mean, so that's what I got. I got out of that. But see what Jamie Locke didn't realize about us is like I'll when we play live, and we're a live band. We're, we're not a recording band. We we do things live. Like uh, I'll manipulate volume. I'll do like the verse comes in. I'll bring the volume down. The chorus comes. I bring the volume up, and we attack. And I, I would do things like that. And Jamie would, and then Jamie would stop and tell me like, "Why'd you do that? Why'd I do what? Why'd you bring your volume down? Because he can see it all up on the computer or whatever it is." And he just wanted a straightforward guitar track. And just, just one minute, think this way. Now, don't, don't do those subtle things. You know, don't come down in volume. Don't, don't do things like that. We'll, we'll fix that in the mix. That's not us. We, we create things in the music as they happen. And that, that was, that was kind of awkward. It's like I kind of, not, not butted heads, I guess, with Jamie. It's just he, 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 he wanted me to stop doing things like that. It's just, just played the rhythm and then we'll we'll overdub things i think and that and yeah that was Great. our sound and that was our sound so you have someone yeah yeah someone saying like trying to get you to change our sound for, yeah because and the, the way you play one of the things that came up you know i i when i talked about super touch is like what biv said that you were a live band people say hey that record's awesome but they were like you had to see them live, you know, especially at that point, you know, when this was a new record, like that's where you guys really shined. And really for like bands of this style, I mean, you can't really ask for better. Like you want to be a better, like, I feel like it would be, I would rather people say, Oh, the record's cool, but they're better live than oh, the record's great. And you go to see them and they're fucking terrible. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's what we are. We are a live band. Because it says here you you guys have the production credit too, which I found like you said interesting. Because the Normandy sound stuff's usually Tom Soares, but here it says uh, produced by Super Touch and, and Jamie and Jamie Locke. Yeah, we couldn't afford Tom Soares. <laughs> how many? How long did it take to record this album? Uh, the music was done in a weekend. Uh, we oh wow we started we started on a Saturday morning and we were finished like Sunday evening, we all had to be back at work on Monday. And Mark, I think you did the vocals the next weekend. Yeah. Sunday. Yeah. And And uh, we had to come back from mixing two or three weeks later. And, uh, and I mean, I I was really nervous because, you know, um, hearing your voice and headphones, it's nothing like live. And I was, I was already like, you know, I pretty like, you know, I wasn't, really happy with how my voice sounded anyway and um i'm here to amplify it and then the real big mistake i did was uh, we started with uh, the first thing i did was the screams on the painted on the painted sky there's like these like death screams on that song that kind of like add texture to that one part and i started off for like the first I don't know, half an hour, like screaming, you know, like, and, and 
yeah, my voice was like destroyed after that. Right. I don't, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but my voice, you know, I, I couldn't, I could barely even talk for the rest <laughs> of the weekend. Not, and, right? and I, and I had to do the rest of the record. I kind of like that though. It has this like gravelly yeah. feel to the vocals. And I think that's cool, but that's just an outsider perspective from someone yeah. that wasn't there. Exactly. My, yeah, my, my voice was like, what was pretty like gravelly anyway. I think it, it kind of like, you know, took away like the, like what little like range I had and took away some of the dynamics. I had a question, something that I should have maybe asked when we were talking about lyrics and you were talking about learning how to sing and finding your voice. But when you wrote lyrics for this LP, did you have a notebook of lyrics that you would pull from? Or did you hear the song first and then write the lyrics based on uh, how the music made you feel? Well, yeah, I think it was a mixture. Um, I, I just wrote all the time, you know, if, if I, you went in my jacket pocket at that time, you would pull out like a hundred pieces of paper, like with a ton of stuff scrawled on it. So I was always writing. I was like, you know, I was really into um, writing and I read a lot. And um, so, yeah, sometimes I would have stuff kind of written already. And then sometimes I would, I would, I'd be like, oh, you know, this, this song is about this and I'm going to write it. And yeah. yeah, I would also like uh, back then, I think I would try to jam in too many words too sometimes. But those words paint a picture to me at least. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm actually, that's the one thing I, I'm happy with is the lyrics. No, yeah. the, well, the, I was going to comment too, like the lyrics on, on this record are awesome. I mean, that's one of the things that really attracts me to this album and like it captures, like Jason said, it paints a picture like using the painted sky for an example, like that whole can't breathe, just choke. Like the music sounds like claustrophobic. And then those lyrics over it, like really set the scene for that song. Yeah. We so wanted that's to- I was wondering too, like, did you hear that? And then go, it gave you the idea to write those lyrics or was yeah. it the other way around? I think it was a combination. Yeah. I, I, I think that song was really kind of eerie and, and dark and, and um, yeah, I think that those lyrics, um, yeah, I, I remember when I, I don't remember, but I remember writing those lyrics. I was like on a bus sure. and, and this, and the sky was like this insane color. And I, I just wrote that, wrote the lyrics, what turned, turned into the lyrics. Speaking of writing the lyrics, the actual, in the insert, the handwritten stuff uh, who did that? Oh, me, dude. So the, your penmanship oh, is yeah. is unreal, and it, oh, it especially on the um, the the page with engine uh, in the insert, like it just that whole with the the old photograph and and the the lyrics written out. It looks so cool, man. And on on the labels, so like, how did you put all that stuff together? Um. I think, well, you know, like, um, like I said, I always like design and I, I like, like, um, I like, like, um, typography and I like, like, um, you know, I, I, I like my handwriting. Um, you know, I, I, I like dabbled in graffiti. Um, but yeah, I think I think we some of that. I think like back then it was just like, oh yeah, you just grab a bunch of photos and you 
you put the photos. I think that's where the photo aspect came from. Yeah, before we jump into the photo on the cover, I do want to say that probably one of the coolest things I've seen in a lyric sheet is for grabbing hold, you didn't put the actual lyrics with that killer chorus of when you're by my side, you make me feel better. But you put kind of like a, a you put words that would lead it to whoever's listening to the song's interpretation. Yeah. I, I, I think I felt like that was better than doing that was better than putting the lyrics for that particular song for some reason. Yeah. I think it's cool. Like, yeah, like Jason said, it's like a, it was a neat like tribute almost like to see that. And I also wanted to know about, so the title, the earth is flat. And then there's the, the label. I don't know if it's like this on all the, on my pressing. I don't know if it's only on the late, this is a newer one. I think it's, it's on all of them, I think. Okay, I was gonna say I didn't. I wasn't sure because this is like a newer one. People might like crucify me and be like, "It's not on the original." I don't know, but um, th- so that's like looks like a lyrics for a song called "The Earth Is Flat." Yeah, it was never a song. It's just something I I wrote one day, and um, yeah. Now I'm scared to title this next record after <laughs> after <laughs> who would have thought. You know, <laughs> that would be in 1991, <laughs> that 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 this metaphor would take on a whole different meaning. Yeah. So, what made you? What what was the significance behind the title? I don't know. It just, it it just kind of popped into my head, and in um, I think it was just kind of about like um, isolation and everyone kind of being like distant from each other and mm-hmm. and um yeah i don't know i just i just wrote it so i got one last question on that on the cover so the photo that's on the front what can you tell us about that and then i also heard that this record was based off of uh your like your love for jazz music and for the blue note jazz records yeah um yeah it's um based off this album um called bags and train okay john coltrane um and um, yeah, I love like the blue note stuff and actually wanted to kind of bite it even more. Yeah. But the person who was doing the design work for me was like, I can't do that. Like, you know, so, you know, they, they made the border a little thicker and they changed the type a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Okay, nice. And yeah. Um, and my friend Teresa Kelleher um, took the front cover photo. Was this always the cover? Because there was an advertisement for you know upcoming, and it had a different cover of you and John uh, there's on a the photograph. front. Oh, it's me and Joe. Joe. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that was uh, that was in the basement of the, the pyramid. pyramid, right? Yeah. Before, yeah, I don't think I don't think that was ever supposed to be the cover. Um. I think they just used it in the ad. Maybe, maybe I bet that photo might have not like translated for like a black and white ad or something like yeah. that. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I can tell you about that uh, that photo on the, the front cover. That's a uh, Brighton Beach in Brooklyn. I had to wake up at three a.m. I think I picked you up, Mark. I think I picked you up. You were on Avenue A, living there at that yeah. time. Drove out to Brooklyn, picked up the rest of the band, and hey, this is early morning. It's 
still night really and we were we were close to the water i mean the water was like two feet away from us like with the waves like they're trying to take this photo and the waves would like come up to our feet and I, we'd all be running away because it was freezing <laughs> that's that's taken on the beach and you were wearing shorts, Mark. And I was like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> it looked cold. That's the thing. It, like, it was. It was freezing. <laughs> if you see me, I'm I'm like hunched over. <laughs> so, yeah. Worth it, though. It makes for a classic cover. I mean, yeah, timeless. So who was so, – it says Teresa Kelleher. She was just a friend of the band. It says she took the front and back uh, photo. Yeah, she's yeah, she's a friend of mine. Yeah, she, no, I – Oh yeah, let's get back. She took that the photo on the insert of the train yard of the of like. The, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Front cover photo and engine photo. So that back cover photo, I've just set the record straight here. I took that photo, but I took it on Andy's camera when we were on tour, and then like when it came up, Andy was like, "I don't know, man. It was on my camera." I'm like, dude, I remember like taking this picture specifically and barring your camera, like you remember that, right? He's like, yeah, but I don't know if it was for this photo and <laughs> you know, just stupid, like young person shit. But I love that. It says, but we're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, at least you got to put that in there. It says photo by Andy, but we're I not think that, sure. Yeah. It's a good, um, shows the awkwardness of, um, of being, uh, you know, how we were back then. Mm-hmm. How old were you guys when when this was going on? Like, because you you Mar- I know Mark because I've read you know interviews with you. Like, you started going to punk and hardcore shows at like twelve or thirteen. Like, yeah, around thirteen. Um, so were you like what, like twenty when this was being done? Or I forget. Ninety. I was I was twenty. Yeah, so uh-huh. I was, tw- was twenty one. I guess. Okay, so yeah, I mean, that's like, this music to me is so advanced for people that young. Like, it doesn't, like, and that's a compliment. Like, it just doesn't, like, it sounds, like, professional to me. Like, I'd always said, to me, if if this record came out in 1992 or 93 instead, like, you guys would have been, you know, swooped up with the, the Nirvana uh, you know, frenzy of stuff and where, where they were signing any kind of, you know, underground band that had yeah. some cred. Like to me, this was like post hardcore before there was really too much post hardcore, like uh proto post hardcore, if you will. Like we used that a few times, like with the bold seven inch. And, uh-huh. um, and this definitely to me falls into that category. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Were there any bigger, like after this came out, were there any like bigger labels that, uh, you know, were into what you guys were doing and wanted to work with you? Well, just that Smashing Pumpkins label. And then we had gotten a lawyer. We were working on a new record and, you know, he was like pretty confident that we would get picked up, but we wound up breaking up during that record. So Okay. Wasn't there a, at one time, there was a rumor of, of EMI, but I was oh. just talking. There, there was something about that that I heard. Oh, from you guys. maybe. Oh, you know, I remember one other one. Triple um, X really wanted to sign us. Oh, and nice. was, they had just done like that, you know, right around the time they did that James Addiction record, that first James yeah. Addiction record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, Alan Cage, when we talked to him, talked about you giving him a tape of that Jane's Addiction. And then he said on the other side was, I uh, think. Scream, uh, no more no censorship. More, yeah. Yeah. So it comes full circle. Yeah. I had a so, question uh, oh, about the line, I've been drinking all night. Um, did anybody ever give you shit about that? Like, did uh, it ever come up and like yeah, questioning not, you on it? Yeah, I mean, I know people weren't, a lot of people weren't crazy about it. And um, not like, I, I don't think, I wasn't like trying to be, trying to like troll, but mm-hmm. I think I think I put it to kind of say, I put it there on the first line on the record on purpose to kind of say like, cause I think there was a, there was like a vibe I saw going around like of, and I think like being, being straight edge is great and not like abusing your body. I think it's like a, a noble thing. And I, I, you know, it's great for some people, but I just remember a lot of people were like, if you drank or smoke weed, you weren't a good person. And if you were straight edge, you were a good person. And I wanted, and I knew all those people liked us. So I just wanted, or a lot of those people liked us anyway, but I kind of wanted to make people think about that and, you know, and, and have some confusion about it and be like, you know, have a, like a dialogue in their head. Like, yeah, but Super Touch has it as a lyric, so, you know. Like breaking breaking away from the subculture a little bit, like striking out on your own. Like, well, especially for not, Revelation. Not, yeah, yeah. Well, not, well not, not just to strike out on our own, but yeah, I did want to do that as well, but also uh, to make people question, like, why they like or don't like someone, you know, do they, do they have a yeah. good reason, good reason for not liking someone? I don't, I don't, someone drinking or, or doing drugs isn't, isn't a reason not to like someone. If they come over your house and take your mom's like silverware or something to buy drugs, <laughs> then, then yeah, then, or if they're just an asshole anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, but that opening line, I remember too, like hearing it, um, you know, cause we, we often talk on this podcast, breaking up the eras of revelation and Javier was the one that kind of came up with this. And we're in the college years. Now the, the early stuff was like the high school and now we're in college. And I almost feel like if I would have heard this record when I was 16, I might've not been that into it, but I heard it when I was like 18 or 19 in college and it hit. So it was very literally like the college years yeah. like this and like same with like underdog and yeah. like the stuff that was a little different than the yeah. typical cookie cutter youth crew. And I hate to use that term because I fucking love that all that. Yeah, stuff. of course. Um, but I just remembered even then thinking like that's a ballsy opening line, but I like it. Like yeah. and I'm I'm straight edge still. And I thought this this is cool. Like because it was something just totally different from you know, what was going on at the time, you know, in, in the scene, at least in the, at least in the revelation, you know, with their judge and bold and youth is today, gorilla biscuits and uh, all the stuff that we love. It was neat to hear something yeah. different. Oh yeah. And also I've never said this before, but I did kind of like, I, um, 
it wasn't my intention at first, but I kind of nicked that line from my buddy Carl, who plays on the um, Super Touch on the Searching for the Light on the 12-inch. Um, he had a band, and they had a song that had, like, I've been drinking all night. And um, I think we were just jamming on um, Engine when we first writing it. And I, I may have had, like, a may have been, I think it, I always showed up to rehearsal with a 40 or two. Um, <laughs> so I was like drinking a 40 and I was like, I've been, you know, and feeling it. And I was like, I've been drinking all night and it works so well. Wound up keeping it, but I, I, I do want to give like uh, my friend Carl credit, you know, for that line. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, something that's, that's, I think is interesting too about super touch is like, even though you guys disbanded in 95 or 96 or whatever, like you've kind of stayed relevant and, and come and gone. Like you said, triple B did the flexi recently, right? Uh, just in the past couple of years. And I mean, if you want to talk about relevance and important hardcore labels, they're in the forefront. They're like, you know, one of the most important hardcore records currently in the world. So how did how did stuff like that come about? And I know that you guys came out and played California, you know, just in the past few years. And so it's there is a little bit of a reunion culture sometimes, but I think yeah. that you guys kind of didn't necessarily fit in with that and you were still just doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I, I think I just talked to Sam and I knew how much he liked Super Touch and... And, and, um, so he's doing the new album. Um, and, um, but with this new album, I kind of wanted to, um, I talked to him, I, I, I wanted the band to be, to keep the album and put, you know, put, be in charge of it, you know, own it and put it out online or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, and Sam was like, yeah, but I was like, you know, you could do the vinyl for however long, you know. So Revelation's going to do the vinyl for the new Super Touch you're working on? No, uh, Triple B. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think there might be like a Rev variant. Okay. Uh, for Rev HQ. Yeah. Sorry Is it that. recorded? Uh, can, I, you know, usually we, but I was like, you know what? Since the album's not going to be on Rev, we're not going to get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Like, let's yeah. talk about it now. Like, uh, let's get the word out. I mean, I want new Super Touch music. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. A lot, some of these bands from back then, I'm kind of like, hey, I'm cool with what we have. Yeah. But again, Super Touch is one where I'm like, give me a new Super Touch. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, Talk I'm about really, it. All right. I'm, well, I'm really excited about it. It's um, it's pretty close to being done. I'm like touching up like a, a couple like lyrics here and there and, you know, like kind of tiny things. Um, but it's pretty much done. And, and then when that – and then – when it's like um, when they mix the vocals, um, Biv is going to go add a, a little more guitar and, you know, add some more like dynamics and texture and stuff. Um, so we had, we had, you know, I always kind of thought about what I would have done, wish I, what I wish I did differently or what I wish we, we all did differently as a band for like a long time, you know, you know, we talked about like what we didn't like about that first record, Mm -hmm. you know, like as far as about how it was recorded and stuff. Um, 
And I also thought it needed like some editing and um, like less songs and, you know, stuff like that. And I would always think about stuff like that in my head. So when we started playing with like Chris Daly and Jeremy Holhan, um, and we started writing new stuff, I was like, I was like, let, I don't want to look back and think like, oh, I wish we did that. So I tried to look at it from like um, 10 years later and make sure like mm-hmm. we could like live with what we were doing. And, you know, and I also like, um, there's like certain things I liked that I thought made, that worked well for Super Tug. So I would, I would kind of set the tone at rehearsal with like, you know, I would come in with like, I would do a beat for Chris and then like let him like do whatever he wants. And then, and I was like, you know, kind of like maestroing the vibe a little and then to get it going. Where did you record so, th- this at? Um, at the wild Arctic. And uh, Oh, with Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Dean, and, um, he recorded my old band, like all of our stuff one up. Um, great dude. Great engineer producer yeah totally um, that's awesome yeah so it's gonna so we know right now it's gonna sound yeah it's, it sounds big. great and um yeah and i'm and i'm like i'm doing the vocals at home i have like, oh nice this is that's where i am now i have like a i built a little um well i had some a friend build like a little soundproof booth yeah and um, give you some freedom to try a bunch whatever you want to do yeah i i needed a i needed a lot of work to get where I wanted to be. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like do some half, like half baked kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't be like, I didn't want it to be like, yeah, we're old. We're, we're tired. What do you expect? You know, I didn't want to do that. I'd rather not put anything out. And, um, I think what fucked me up for a while was, um, we did that song for the America, uh, the triple B comp. Mm hmm. And right. I, I I love the music, um, but I was I was kind of like disconnected from singing and from writing at that point, and I felt like I just kind of like kind of did what I could to make it sound good. But it, I was like, that's like, what's that song about? Like, that's not me. That's like that's what I think about. Like that doesn't feel like my re- my real voice, even though like I was singing in in ways that sounded like me. You know what I mean? But yeah, just, just the overall, I wasn't like singing it like from the heart, or you know, I wasn't like connected to it. And I I I was just so like disappointed in myself, and I was like, how did I get to this point where I'm doing this? You know. Well, like, it's awesome. Now you have a chance to, to, to write, re- you know, to write that. Yeah. But was that done at the same session as, cause you did do a seven inch about God. Now it was 11 years ago. The lost my way. That oh yeah. Reaper. And I remember being taken aback a bit by the vocals. Cause it sounded like you had like some effects or something on there. Yeah. Like, I, I think, know? yeah. There are, I mean, I like effects on vocals. Like Cocteau twins are my favorite band. And, mm-hmm. I, and like, I listen to like a, a lot of like reggae and you know always have you know so i've always liked like effects but i think i think some of the effects on there were like to like to make the performance 
work a little better than it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was because that was what I was wondering because the songs are great and the, and the vocals sound cool, but I was like, I wonder because I was like, he's got such good vocals. Like, why? Like, let's hear him without the stuff. Like, to me, like, you know, thinking about like better and uh, this record. So um, I'm very excited to hear a new LP from you guys. What was the reaction like when you guys put this out? Like, what was, what was reception like? Were people in the scene, like, did they, were they immediately taken to this or was it like a slow burn? I think, well, I think it was a slow burn in some ways and some people liked it. I kind of like, I kind of checked out like emotionally that time because I, I wasn't happy with the way it came out and my performance and I didn't want to talk about it and I didn't want to think about it. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about the earth is flat now, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We were actually broken up and we had separated for about eight months. We, I, that's, that's what happened. I, February of 91, we stopped playing. And I think this came out in the summer of 91. And then I, I, when I visited Mark, you, Mark was working at Prana it was October and November. I said, come on, let's put the crap in the past. Let's just put it behind us and let's get this back together. And that's, and Joe wanted to do it. And I had a friend who was going to, you know, who wanted to play drums. I, I know Andy didn't want to. We got, that's when we got Rich, Rich Edsel. Okay. And, um, so by 92, uh, February, March of 92, we, we played again and we played at the marquee and, the marquee was sold out, and yeah, that was a sick show. Place, the place exploded. Was that the I, Gorilla Biscuit? I have that video. Yeah. I, re- I really want you guys to see that video. A friend of ours shot it from. I don't. I don't know if you ever know the uh, the marquee in New York City, Twenty First Street. Yeah. It had a, a balcony on the left side of the stage, and this friend of ours shot this video straight down. And if you ask like Tim McMahon, who was there, he does like. 20 stage dives throughout the whole thing. It's, it's nuts. I feel like I remember hearing people say that you guys kind of like, like state stole the show that night almost like not, no disrespect to gorilla biscuits, but it was yeah. like their last show. They had the, you know, and we, we talked about this with, with them, but they had like the, the alternate lineup. And I feel like I remember hearing people say, yo, but super touch that night was like straight fire. Yeah, from, I the mean, first, from the first note, the place exploded. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I was like, I had never been so like, up to that point, I was never so comfortable on stage. And I was like, I just felt connected to every word. And, you know, I felt it like in my body. I was like, all right, th- this is good. Like, yeah, I wish every, I wish every, I wish our, every show could have been like that. I would like to see that. Yeah. What did you think about that frenzy in the late nineties, early two thousands? It seemed like people were just, spending tons of money on trying to collect shirts and posters for super touch it seemed like there was this resurgence of love for the earth is flat oh yeah that was cool i think i think that i think that kind of led us to eventually like reprint that stuff so people didn't have to like you know people could own a shirt without having to spend a lot of money on it yeah Mm -hmm. What are you talking about, Jason? Like locking out and all that whole. Yeah, it seemed it, it seemed like there was a, a big style and influence by people that kind of oh. like, even maybe we're trying to emulate what you did before the recording of the LP. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about um, 
uh, about like um, people like buying the shirts on eBay and stuff. Well, that but I, I think was, that yeah, came, I was, yeah, that, yeah, came, yeah, that factored in came with it because, like Jason, you know, that's you know, at that point, I'd been involved in hardcore for several years, and Jason and Hav as well. But like, that was a time where all of a sudden, underdog. It seemed like underdog and super touch both got this, you know, second wind where it was like people were really starting to appreciate. And I know, you know, in the early 2000s, um, I, I don't, Mark, I don't know if you were playing. I know, Biv, you did Running Like Thieves yeah. with Matt. Matt. Um, Cause we actually, yeah. we actually, my band One Up played with you guys a bunch of times um, back then. And that was always fun. But, and I remember you, you know, thinking like, oh man, it'll be so cool if Super Touch would play. And I don't know when you guys finally got back together. I, th- uh, for, I think I think what made us get back together was that antimatter show, right? Two thousand eight. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nor- Norm asked us to so like hop on and and do some yeah. songs, and I kind of got things rolling again. Yeah, and then we played in Toronto the the next summer in two thousand nine. That was with the Earth is Flat lineup, Andy and Joe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, so uh, the videos I saw from early, like, 92 was not Andy. And then now I know Andy is also not uh, drumming. You have Chris Daly, who yeah. was playing with you guys, who's yeah. a phenomenal drummer. Oh, man. And, uh, I love, yeah. love fucking Chris. So he's back yeah. now, which is awesome news. Yeah, he's so he's so good. It, it really, like, I think he, he adds, like, a really cool element to our music and gives it some structure and I know it, it's I feel like it's definitely a lot easier for me to sing over his beats yeah he's 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 great look I was like really in a pocket but he you know but he does really interesting stuff as well so well they're trying to figure that out what can you tell us about the documentary super touching other people um well it was one of yeah it was one of one of Andy's friends um and he was like, hey, do you mind if I, like, film you for, like, a class project? We're like, oh, yeah, no problem, you know? And um, it was uh, Eric Fennell. Yeah. And then he wound up selling it. <laughs> Which, whatever, I don't, it doesn't bother I, me. I like the document. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, it captures I'm, I'm, us I'm in glad, that period of time. It's, it's yeah. so I'm, cool. I'm glad, I don't watch it, but I'm glad it exists, you know? Yeah. He, uh, he would come on trips with us from like yeah from 80 89 and 90 and uh he, he filmed quite a bit and um and did the interviews and interviewed people around the shows and so yeah he's oh you always had a camera on even when i'm driving he'd have the camera like right here there's, mm-hmm. there's a point like okay let me <laughs> let me drive <laughs> you know um was it ever officially released or just on YouTube? I mean, I've seen on YouTube. That's where I saw it as well as YouTube. Yeah. So. There, there were VHS tapes of it. He, he, yeah, he I, I, I think, yeah, I bought an episode. I mean, I bought an issue of Flipside and I saw like an ad for it. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I don't mind, but. Yeah. You know I, mean? I went down a super touch YouTube wormhole. There's so much stuff out there. There's There really is. There's demos say for-, for The Earth is Flat. There's the death before dishonor stuff there's the documentary there's in there's some insane live footage from fenders and some other stuff yeah no there's a lot like i saw there's like there's recent shows there's old shows there's all kinds of stuff so yeah you can 
I literally just searched super touch and found all this yeah. stuff. So, but I still want to see that marquee video. Yeah. So we got to get that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. digitized. I think, um, Oh yeah. I think there was a, a kind of like an engine video that um, they made using the live yeah. performance of, of engine mixed with the, with the audio from the record. That is, that was done by Mark Conforti, the guy who shot the video at the marquee. He used to do a, uh, like a video, like a series of videos of New Jersey hardcore bands called, um, I think, Guerrilla Warfare, I think it was okay. called. And uh, he he edited that video, the uh, just pieces of that show with the song engine from the Earth okay. is Flat. That, that's his video. Mark Conforti is his name. Okay, that's cool. cool. Yeah, I mean, we, like I said, that marquee show, we, we got to get our – our eyes on that, <laughs> not, not hands. I mean, we just got to enjoy it on, on YouTube. Um, so I guess before we move into you know, like the, you know, wrap things up this record 30 now it's, well, you said it came out probably 91, 30 years 91. later. What, what are, I mean, we, we sort of touched on it, but like, what are your, at the end of the day, what do you think about the fact that you have so far really one full length album, you know, in, th- you know, 35 years or whatever you guys have been a band um, and that there's still people talking about it today. How does that, how do you feel? <laughs> Get that? Yeah. Pick up what I'm putting down. I, I, I like see what that. you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make, I wanted to make Jason spit out his drink, but <laughs> all over his shirts. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful that people like the band and that there's people that still listen to it, you know? It's it's cool, yeah. Right. You get asked about it a lot, like often. I mean, even just online or people talking about it, or you know, you run into somebody at the grocery store that's like, "Hey, weren't you in Super Touch?" <laughs> yeah, it comes up. It, it comes up every now and then. Um, I, I'm, I'm. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm not really that super comfortable talking about the past. So, so I get a little. Like it gives me anxiety. Yeah. And I, yeah. So, so if, if anyone's ever asked me anything and I seem very awkward, that, that that's why. And if I'm awkward today, that's why. Is it just because you're just kind of like, oh, I've been there, done that? Or, you know, um, like. Yeah, I'm just trying to focus on who I am today, you know? No, fair enough, definitely. And, and and also like I you know, I was never quite happy with, you know, my performances and a lot of that stuff. So it's hard for me hard for me to look at. And how about you, Biv? How do you feel? I mean Uh I I, I do I love that record. I I love those songs. They're they're my babies. You know, I you know, especially Engine, What If, How Do You Feel, Shame. I still practice them today. I'd, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll write out a set and I'll practice it just to keep, you know, just to keep my head screwed on straight and my hands right. going. Uh, the one thing I, I've noticed, um, uh, people, you know, middle-aged like me, they'll, they'll come up to me like, I really didn't listen to you guys back then, but I love that record now. It's That's just, me. It, it eventually... It, it does. It grows. It, it grows on people, and and people they 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 grab onto it, and 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, that, that's like a beautiful living there. I'm glad I'm glad I can, you know, you know, make people happy. Yeah, yeah. like it's it's yeah. one that like I said, I heard it. I, I can remember still buying the C D version and I was like a freshman in college and I thought it was cool, but then the older I got, the more I appreciated it. It's it's one of those that just really grows on you and, and now this actually leads me to i remembered another question i wanted to ask viv you did the backups on this right uh i did some but uh, bill dolan from american standard he he did a lot of the backups too um, yeah okay so on the song what if who sings the myself line that's bill dolan okay okay because yeah, it, it, it seriously sounds like allison chains like i always yeah. thought it sounded like like if you told me like oh that was lane staley because it was before yeah. they got popular yeah, Bill, um, Billy's a great, I believe great, it, great it's, friend, great singer. Yeah, such a cool definitely. thing. And when you see you guys live, you can see the whole crowd like sings that part. Um, yeah, I, I try. I try to hit that note, but sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I fail dismally. When uh, when we played at a what was that place on Varick when we we came back from the tour in 2011? What was the name of that? Oh, Santos. Santos. Yeah. Bill. Bill got on the mic and I sang that bit with him, but I, I was happy he did because awesome. I still can't hit that note. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so it's like because it's just one, you know, word, but yeah. it's just this, it's like one of the most iconic backup vocals I can think of because yeah. like I'm always like ready waiting for it. The music picks up and I'm like, yeah. you know, it, it's it's pretty awesome. So yeah, I, I, I love that back. I love that backup vocal. It's great. I'm playing that live when that part is coming up, I can I start getting jumpy and I got to concentrate on what I'm doing. It's like I, I'm going to get on. I'm, this time I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. And I come. I always walk away from like, like I didn't hit it. <laughs> but at least, like I oh, said, the crowd. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it that time. <laughs> like I was watching that the Middlesex '92 show, and it's like, first off, people are going nuts, mm-hmm. which, like, w- was just great to like people are just going wild tons of stage dives and just singing along but it didn't have this like violent feel it was a real like uplifting like communal kind of thing and then that that spiritual spiritual mosh yeah and it was just like that that. myself is just everybody (laughs) i'll take that for a band name (laughs) that that was like a little tongue-in-cheek but okay but yeah but still i like it i like it too so it's awesome that you guys are, you know, still doing it, new material. And speaking of new material, we had some difficulties earlier, but we have Jeremy who uh, plays bass for you guys and has for how long? Probably like 10, almost 10 years. 2012, I think I got in. Yeah. 2012. Okay. Yeah. So what's uh, it like being in Super Touch? You probably grew up listening to him. And- yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um I moved to New York city and I think in 2006 and started working in bars and doing nightlife and ran into Mark people. Cause one of my bands was on rev rev one Oh five. And then they were like, you guys, which band was that? Just so you can tell, 30, tell everybody 32 frames, 32 uh, frames with Jay from Elliot and, oh, nice. uh, and then Tommy. New York's. Yeah. And Tommy Brown. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a lot of times you'll be in a bar and people will be like, oh, that guy was on red. Well, that guy, and so, especially in downtown Manhattan, so, that Mark, and bugged him, I think, to keep playing music. We did uh, Foreign Islands for a little bit, and then I just kept bugging name? him about. I couldn't think of the name of, because yeah. uh, Dean had played me yeah. some stuff when we recorded, because, again, I was like, 
you know Mark from Super Touch? He's like, yeah. yeah. And he, he made me like, a, I, I can't, don't know where it is, but a CD of I guess stuff that was working on. I wonder if that was, it was actually called, I think, Get On, Get On or something. Um, I, I, th- I think, yeah, I think we, yeah. I think we experimented with a couple of names and it, mm-hmm. like, turned, it turned into something called Foreign Islands. Mm-hmm. I was so stoked though. I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Well, um, somebody quit and then I was like, I'll play. And then, thank God I did. And then eventually Super Touch came up and I said yes to playing bass. Big so chore. were you a huge fan of the Earth is Flat? We, yeah, we, I, I knew I was in deep trouble. I was like, holy cow. Because the bass playing on this record is... It took a long time. And I know you yeah, wrote... Joe was amazing. You wrote a piece, yeah. you did a piece on No Echo, right? All about the, the bass playing on here. If people want to check it out, they can... Yeah, just... uh, No Echo. Uh, it's, it, I, t- I talked to John and Rich because I, I couldn't believe, like, I, you can hear what he's doing. And they said he was playing with his fingers and, and also playing with a pick, so... Yeah, he would, he would alternate. It was, was, he other, was he in any other bands, Joe? Like, was he... Like before or after? Um, I think he was in a band in DC called Shovel. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's how that sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, he lived in DC for a little while. I think that was one one thing, but um, that's all I can remember. Before he was in Super Touch. Okay. We Is met him like- in '89, so. Yeah, I, yeah. Before Super Touch, I think that the name of the band, a DC band called Shovel. That's we'll that's do all some I digging. Remember. We'll have to do some digging. Someone maybe yeah. has a demo or practice tape or something. Maybe uh, he's amazing. I do my my best. Yeah, I mean he's he's they're definitely like you said. But I watch clips and you nail it, man. Like I saw, um, you know, I haven't. What sucks is like. I haven't had a chance to see Super Touch somehow. I'm in Philly, and I think you guys may have played like Kung Fu Necktie or something. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't able to make it, and I'm really hoping that I have a chance um, cool. at some Damn. point with a new record. But I watch clips, and Jeremy, I mean, you, you nail the shit. So uh, yeah. people are in for a Thank treat you. when you guys are able to get back out there and play. Thank you. Um, so I guess now's the point, if, if you've ever heard our – podcast before we go into hot tracks um and we you know it can just be your your favorite track on the album for whatever reason as a fan as a listener as this was my favorite to play i have the best memory of the recording the lyrics whatever and because i've been dying to know jason's because he and i have been going back and forth and you know we don't talk about these beforehand at all right hav like we never we do not share, like we want it to be an authentic reaction. But yeah. Jason was telling me the other day, he's like, dude, I had to narrow it down to four. <laughs> so I want to know Jason's hot track. I got to go. What if lyrically, musically, everything's just on fire, but I do have to say a pregnant mother says, what should I do is the coolest fucking line. I think in, you know, any on any revelation records release, Oh, thank you. That yeah, that, well, that whole that song, without giving away too much, uh, uh, you know, the painted sky. I think the lyrics are just great and like yeah. so still relevant today. You know, it's like really addressing like environmental and you know type issues. And 
we touched on earlier, just the way the lyrics fit with the music that the, you know, it really captures the whole essence of the song. Yeah. But that tempo on that song, it just makes me want to, I hope I see you guys play that live, you know, when things get back to normal. Mm, yeah. If they do. All right. All right. Who's not Jeremy. How about you go? I, I'm in the same boat. I got three. Uh, yeah. Shame. Amazing to play live. It's so fun. Lockout. Lose my mind on lockout. And uh, the funnest, anything it takes, hands down, hot track, love it. Anything it takes, your final vote? Oh, okay. Above three, but shame. Anything. Shame's cool because it has the, that intro is like nothing, like it's not like a hardcore song at all. The acoustic, you know, the acoustic guitar in the back uh, and the, the kind of like, little, little blues riff. Yeah, like the. I, I lifted from a jam. <laughs> I was from a bootleg of the Who and just uh, Pete Townsend. Just kind of, it, it wasn't that exact thing, but it was that chord. And I just kind of took that chord and I said, Andy, do do this. And I just started kind of jamming with it. And okay, that'll intro the song. So it's, yeah, it's cool because, like I said, I, I rip off Pete Townsend quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> not, a bit not a bad, yeah. <laughs> I can't explain how fun it is to to play those three, but anything it takes, it's so fun. There's a crazy thing I, I could tell you about anything it takes. From Please. the Earth is Flat, there was a middle part in that song which had to be spliced out. What had happened, the, the music, uh, after the, I guess the second chorus and going into where the guitar solo is, the music would stop. It would be all all accents and the bass would keep going. And then then the music would kick back in and the guitar solo would start. Now what had happened was the timing of it, of, of the stops was really awkward. And we didn't realize this until we had come back to mix. Anyway, we're listening to this and this, I, this is, it, it, the timing is, is, is off. So Jamie, we're listening to this and Jamie Locke just said, okay, I can, I can cut this and we're, we're dealing with tape. We can't re-record the song because the drums have been swiped and everything. And what he did is he put it into a machine where he cut that bit out and then fused the tape back together. So the song just never stopped. So you notice the song just keeps going. But there was there there was a stop in that song. And I tried to find the cassette tape or just hold it up and play it for you. The original version of anything mm-hmm. it takes. I, I can't find that tape. Oh but, man! Yeah, I don't it's in there know what somewhere. the hell I did with it. But yeah, that that's, oh. that that's the part of that song that literally just got pulled out, thrown in the garbage. That's the stuff we love to hear about, though. You know, and people love to hear. The thing um, about that is too is in mixing. You know, listening to it, realizing that it's just this is bad. We we got to do something here, and then the whole thing of Jamie Locke having to do that ate up a lot of time. It was and that was expensive, so. We're, we're always under the gun with money too. Is, mm-hmm. So yeah, but I know that feeling. It's something that had to be done. And so yeah. when you, when you play that song live, then do you play it the original way? No, no, that, that bit got taken out and we, we played it. Changed the, the whole song. Hear it, it changed the whole song. Wow. Now, is this, is this new news to you, Jeremy? Did you know this already? I told um, you. Yeah. We, we uh, talked about it. Um, I, I love the, 
the album version so much. So I can't imagine what it would be like to play it the original way you're talking about. I, yeah. I wish I could find that tape. You, Do you remember how, how it went at all? Like, like just yeah. like if yeah, you had to play I, it, you could play it. Th- that was one of the songs that Mark, Andy, and Joe let me write musically completely. They, they, I, I show, I remember being in the rehearsal space at the place was called big fun on 23rd street in Manhattan. And I said, I got this bit thing here and it goes like this, goes like this, goes like this. And they all just kind of sat there like, okay, cool, cool. All right, let's do it. And yeah. Yeah. So that, that I never forgot that part. It's, it's, it is a part of me, <laughs> but yeah. Could, we, you, could you play it live? And I still played the, the bass part. What do you mean? The part that's cut out. The the uh, the baseline. It would it work? It, it, it's it's the uh, it's the same thing that you'd be doing in the verse. That's all. But there's I think stop, you guys need to do there's it. accented stops over it. That's all. Okay. Very like you, I saw. Because speaking of parts, like I was just thinking about how I saw a clip of you guys. Maybe it was at Rev Twenty Five where you did searching for the light, but then at the end you went into the end of um, understanding. Yeah. And I thought that sounded really fucking cool. That That's something we, we, sometimes we do it is, yeah. It was cool. Cause it like, that and it, it fit perfectly. I thought like it was the end. And then the, so yeah. just threw that out there. Hoff. No. What you got? So, uh, as I talk about a lot, I'm a huge cassette collector. And one day Tommy Brown uh, just asked me for my address. And uh, a couple weeks later, I got a super touch. The earth is flat cassette in the mail. And I listen to cassettes a lot in my office, like while I'm shipping or doing, you know, whatever I'm doing. And for some reason, side two of this record, I just, I listened to it more. And uh, this week I, you know, I said, uh, how do you feel to Jason? And like, I, at first I thought that was going to be like my hot track just because like that stuff, like it, it grabbed me, but then grab grabbing hold actually grabbed me. And to me, that's my favorite song on this record. It's, it's fucking, it's cool. And you know, this isn't, this isn't a record that I grew up listening to. Uh, this isn't something like we talk about all the time. Like my friends didn't hand me this record and say like, Hey, you should be listening to this. It was kind of an outlier in the rev catalog for me. So, uh, like Jason, you know, it's, it's taken me a bit longer to, to grab hold onto it. Um, but I, I could just listen to like, not to discount side a, but for some reason side B of this cassette, like it has such a good flow and it's like really cool to listen to. And, um, those two songs in the middle of it are, it's a, it's a solid stretch of the record. So was it me and me hounding you and Jason? Like I was like a uh, missionary for super touch. Like since we started the podcast. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, like a lot of this podcast in a, a year or so, we're going to start getting into some records that we're not familiar with, or we don't love, or they're maybe not seminal records. Like, I hate to say I've never heard the 32 frames record on Rev. I own the CD. Like somebody sent me this CD. It's probably in my collection sealed still, unfortunately. So we're going to have to start listening to this stuff that, 
you know, we've never we heard. We didn't grow up with, yeah. and, it, and, and it it it's not sentimental for us. Like, uh, and then some of the stuff's going to be easier. Like, I love the Since by Man record, and you guys have probably never heard the Since by Man no, record. Since you know? by Man's great. Yo, that that we, we played yeah. with them. Yeah, I great They're great dudes, great record. I love that stuff. But um, yeah, but yeah. I agree, I agree with Hot. Like, you know, we talk about often. Sometimes if you don't if you didn't catch on to it when you were younger and you're coming at it from a different place, like it's maybe more difficult to digest. But for me having heard this when I was 19 and just, yeah. just like the interest only grew. Imagine that you have never heard into another self-titled until 2021. And then someone gives it to you and you're like, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. that, that shit's like blows minds. And I think super touches, it falls into the same category. Like, especially in the context of what came before it. Like the judge record is right before this and the burn record is right after it. So it's like, it's... Two very heavy records. Yeah. yeah. Very so, heavy. Yeah. Very excited to talk about the burn record too. Uh, the apex of hardcore. Yeah. According to Zach. <laughs> and like, yeah, I think like... I'm sorry. I think there's like even that burn record makes me wish that we had edited our record into something a little... A little, you know, tighter. Mm. That's just my opinion. So, how stoked were you on that burn seven inch when you first? Uh, I fucking love it. Yeah, that, that very heavy. Yeah, it's that song is it's, it's like bludgeoningly amazing. heavy. So, I guess very I'll rare. I'll go next. We'll save we'll save uh, Mark. You can go last, and I have a very tough time picking. I could probably narrow it down to about five, five or six. <laughs> but today I'm going to say, um, and maybe because it's the first song I heard because of the in-flight program, I think it was, but Vendor will be my uh, hot track. Uh, I just think it's a great track. It's catchy. And um, I love the backup vocals, the the woes in the back. That's built and, on um, Okay, it's it's awesome because I, I was it was tough for me to choose between since everybody else gave the ones they were uh, this painted sky and understanding and then maybe even what if like it was it was too too hard to choose so ask me next week and it might be a different one but yeah I was uh, I was thinking about um about that song and um one thing I thought was what I really like about it is um. I remember with the little, the, you know, my musicality, I, I don't play any instruments or anything. So it's like somewhat limited, but, you know, I was listening to a lot of jazz at that time. And um, that part where it's like, you're unhappy, you're so uptight. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted those, those vocals to like almost hit like a, like a, sound like a horn, you know, like a, a trumpet or right something. like, like kind of cutting through the it just have like that that kind of weird you know like kind of jazz note that's like a little bit like different and you know kind of sits there so it, I, that's what i like about that song like i was able that was like one of the songs that i was kind of able to work it sneak in a little of that influence with mm-hmm. yeah i'm It'll make, and now I can't wait to listen to it again and kind of, you know, that's why I love doing these is because a lot of times we talk, 
well, not a lot of time. We're, we're always talking to people involved in the making of the record and then hearing their perspective. It can like really enhances some of these because you start to go, Oh yeah, I, I totally hear now what they were going for at this part. Um, and I could talk in depth about every song on here, but I won't, <laughs> but Mark, what's your hot track? Um, yeah, I'm thinking about it's, it's hard for me, you know, there's things I like about, um, a bunch of them, but I think, um, I think shame, shame is a big one for me. I think that was like very cathartic for me and kind of let me kind of like get out a lot of stuff that I, that was in, you know, that I've been holding in and just kind of belting it out like that felt very cathartic for me. And so I, I don't know. Maybe I'll go with shame. Oh, it's a great day. ending song too on the, on the record. Yeah. It's like yep. the perfect closer. We had a little um, argument right before we, we um, record it. Remember that Biv? The end, the last part, the end yeah. part, we had something really. It was like, a, that wasn't just, did, did, did yeah. it. it was like, it was like a, Andy was really into like red hot chili peppers mm. who weren't like, I don't think they, they weren't huge yet. You know, they're like pretty popular. Yeah. And it was like a kind of like funk, like it just kind of sounded silly to me. And, um, I, you know, I kind of bottled it up. I was like, there's no way that this can be on the, the fucking record. It was at I the mean, end of the song. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was hard. It, it, it'd, be, it'd be so embarrassing to like listen to that now. There are live tapes of us doing it yeah. out there. But uh, yeah, this this came up in the practice before we were going to go record. And, and and Joe Graz came up with that, that bass, that, that bass line that goes. And we just instantly grabbed onto that, jammed on that. And yeah, yeah. So, so, much, so much better than what was there. Yeah, it's funny because, and this isn't like, I'm not trying to like put anyone down or anything like that, but it's just funny. I think we were like, it got like pretty heated. I think we were like, we were like arguing, like, like, like you know what I mean? Getting like kind of loud and. Yeah we're, we're and, going, and yeah, we're going to Normandy tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm like, we're come gonna on. We're going to change this now. And I'm, I'm kind of like. That was the vibe. Yeah. And I understand. I'm like, I'm pretty awkward like socially um so i um i don't know always know how to express myself um but i think i was like come on like and i was like moving and kind of like moving the way i want it and then joe started playing that yeah that, and then that that we're like, i was like yeah fuck yeah that's you know it I mean? yeah, yeah that was it yeah yeah it just it came out of out of a jam it sound it has that like the that you were playing on the guitar just yeah. has this like jammy feel and i realized and that was the thing just t- just take it out just like we'll, we'll fade it out just just keep going go go with it that's the end of the song just go five ten minutes just keep going with it we'll see and let's just see what happens that but just play it big and heavy it was the right choice yeah because it's like the way it fades out i think is good and i realized if we didn't get your <laughs> we didn't get your hot track that's all right so you um, get to go last let me let me tell you what um let me tell you something funny about shame as well um at the end you hear that kind of like slide guitar kind of stuff kind of like mm-hmm. the weird sounds i'm making that was a broken 
coffee cup that was in the studio. And Joe was like, just make some weird, crazy feedback sounds. And it's like, just, you know, do anything. And he was standing right in front. We had the, the headphones going. And I just started doing this. And he's like, kind of like, yeah, more like that. And we're like playing with the, the volume on the amplifier. I took the guitar off. I handed it to Joe. He, he awkwardly kind of did weird stuff and then threw it back to me. And it's just like, all those weird sounds are just like me and Joe just working off and, and the broken coffee cup on the, on the strings, <laughs> just trying to make as many weird sounds as possible at the end of that, at the end of shame. And then, and then the, the long pick slide at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's rad. The broken coffee cup got no credit in the liner. Notes. So now <laughs> no. at least we get to. No, I should have put that in the world. John Bagano <laughs> guitar, broken coffee cup. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so my track then is, yes. yeah. is Engine. Is Engine. Um, once again, influenced the riff by Pete Townsend. If you've seen us, if you've seen us play live or anything, you'll you'll notice I'll warm up. I don't know if you can hear this. That usually I'll warm up at this this riff. That. That just came out of a jam that the Who did at some show at Detroit in '76, and so I just started playing with which is D major and I was able to craft that that main riff of engine by ripping off Pete Townsend again and it just is the uh the the delay um swells in the beginning that that all came very naturally the the military beat that Andy put down we loved instantly um yeah engine is just and uh, playing in the key of D for me, that's my favorite key to write in. Play. Nice big, nice big chord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's another one that's like, the per- it's the perfect opening. Tr- like no other song could have opened this record. Than yeah, we open with that quite a bit too. And, and that, that just, that settles me. It just gets, gets me going, gets the hands working. And yeah, it's. It and is, hearing about the, the who influence again, I think is something that, sets super touch apart from you know most of the most of your peers from from this time and that's why people are still talking about this record in you know decades later and will continue to um because it's truly innovative and if people are listening i know maybe there's some people who you know listen and they only really uh listen to the early era of revelation and then maybe tap out or those who maybe heard this in 1990, there's some old guys maybe that heard it and were like not into it. Cause at that point they were, you know, teenagers and maybe weren't ready. I, I strongly, that. yeah, I strongly would urge everybody to give it a listen. A lot of people who listen to our podcast have commented that this, these interviews make them go back and listen to things maybe more, critically and i don't mean critically to criticize i mean like with with open ears and open minds and like oh i missed this when it came out because i was into this or whatever you know um so i i think 
this is one of those records. And like I said, into another self-titled as well. Like these are, yeah, these are records that I think people maybe were, uh, didn't have an open mind to approach. And now with the mellowing of old age, perhaps, and the graying, you know, they're, they're going to be able to hold on. I mean, even with like, I started this year listening to like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And when I was a kid that was like, this is what my fucking mom listened to. I don't want to listen to this shit. And now it's like, oh shit, these records are really fucking good. Paul yeah, Simon, no. Graceland, that shit is so good, yeah. you know? Sometimes you hear something when you're young and you you know, you go, I'm, this, this isn't for me today. That's, yeah. I got that from Javier. Like, this is not for me today. <laughs> and then, you know, you maybe hear it years later and it clicks. Like, yeah. you know, Hav knows when doing this podcast, like I was never big into like no for an answer. Like they weren't on my radar and now I love them. Like, yeah. cause I had, you know, listening to them with a, a, a critical ear and hearing things that I didn't hear when I was younger. And I think yeah. with this record too, people be like, Oh man, they're influenced by like the who, but the Chromax, the bad brains, Jane's addiction. Yeah. DC yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. Like the Jane's addiction. And I brought that tape up because I'm like, that's fucking super touch. Jane's addiction on one side scream on the other like yeah i mean that's like the most perfect like i actually after that episode i listened to both of those albums back to back almost to give like like what was it like for alan when he listened to this tape but it kind of put pulled everything together and made sense mm-hmm. super touch is inspired by music it's just music mm-hmm. agreed I like like yeah. you said the period like from the jazz influence the, the mm-hmm. blue note influence of the cover the hip-hop influence hip-hop and everything that's yeah fantastic i think i think like um yeah when i'm working on this new album i think i really like what's helped me a lot is that it seems like um mu- like music has become a little less like ju- like things don't have to fit in a genre like the same For way sure. they, they used to and you know like like you know um why why can't certain things mix you know and and yeah it just it just made me feel more comfortable about like the way and help like clarify what i was feeling like whatever hardcore that's in me is gonna show itself on a record like however it shows itself mm-hmm. you know it, it this new record definitely doesn't sound like a hardcore i mean the earth is flat doesn't really quite sound like one either but um but it's really heavy and it sounds like Biv and it sounds like me. And, you know, I, yeah, I think that made me feel like I got a little more free. And, I, and I'm, and I'm glad the world is like changed in that way. You know, I think I, it made me wonder how many people, but also I really appreciate people that do one genre and they do it well, you know, like ACDC. Like yeah. or, 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 in, or in hardcore, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that I Super Touch is, is a band and has always been a band where you can kind of try different things. Like, you're not expecting... Like, I wasn't expecting Lost My Way or this new album to sound like The Earth Is Flat because The Earth Is Flat doesn't sound like The 7-Inch, which yeah. doesn't sound like the comp track. So it's it's on brand, as they would say, for Super yeah. Touch to just be doing something different but still sounding like Super Touch. Yeah, I was playing um, – I was 
I was zooming with um, Norman Brandon the other night, and um, I was playing him some of the new stuff. And I, you know, I was like talking to him about like that kind of stuff, and he's like, he's like, this totally fits in like what Super Touch is. Like, you know, no one, no one is expecting it to sound like the Earth is flat because you guys have never like awesome. done done the same thing over. Mm-hmm. But he's like, it sounds like you, and you know, I, and I played some music for my friend Trevor Simser, um, and and he, he when he heard it, he's like, you know. That your voice that sounds like sounds like you like you know what I mean he knows me really well he's like you're really like ex- capturing what's going on inside of you and that, that that's like what I wanted to do with this new record you, I didn't want to just like also I didn't want to pretend I was the person I was in 1991 yeah. and I I think that's like really I don't know. It just—it's like disingenuous, definitely. Yeah, like, really, not, yeah, and like, a, I'm, I'm not that person. Like, my, and, and also, like I said, I wasn't quite happy with that record. So why would I try to like imitate that? And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I discovered, a, I learned a lot about myself working on this record. And it's one of those things I think too, where it's like you guys have such a unique sound, but also chemistry where it really does seem like if it's you on vocals and Biv uh, playing the guitar, it's going to be super touch. Like yeah. It's going to just like all those other, you know, like your influences, like to bring scream up again, like no two scream records sound the same, but it still sounds like scream. Yeah, totally. Or bad brains, you know, how bad brains, all their stuff sounds pretty different from record to record, but it's still them. And I think that's super touch. So yeah. Uh, where can, when can people expect to hear this new record? Um, I, I hope by like late spring or summer. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, it's almost there. Yeah. I was playing it for Jeremy the other night on zoom. Sounds great. Awesome. I can't Uh, wait to hear it. So good. It's really, really, make sure you play heavy. Yeah, and, and maybe like, we'll have to do a bonus. Right we'll have to do a bonus episode on it uh, when when it comes out. I'm I'm actually really proud of it. Like, it's heavy. It's great. Yeah, this is the first thing I've done that I'm like awesome. Really proud of. We're uh, looking forward to oh, it. Oh yeah, one thing I wanted to mention. I figured this is the best place to do it. Um, what if that that was um yeah i got i i got that title from um the marvel comics what if that, nice. which was which was my favorite comic when i was when i was a kid oh that rules nice that's awesome. see that's yeah. that's the nectar that we love uh, <laughs> and, and, and um we played the old db super touch played the old dvd song death in the family it's like an instrumental um we played it a bunch live in the beginning um that was also um a title of a Defenders comic. So nice. nice. Hey, so you guys had a little everything. There. Yeah, I figured there's some. Comics. I figured there's some comic yeah. people listening. So yeah, that's awesome. Get that out there. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking time to oh, yeah. seriously thank, speak thank you. with us and thank let, you. Me, let me fanboy a bit. Yeah. Very so that, that, excited for the future of Super Touch and hoping that I can finally right my wrongs and see you guys play and scream <laughs> yeah. out myself with everybody else yeah looking forward to playing again yeah yeah 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for it. We'll talk to you guys later. I've spent a lot of time with this album over the past couple of weeks and uh, it's a lot to digest. Jason, I know that you, this journey that we're on right now has converted you into being a fan of this album. Yeah. Correct. Tell us a little bit about that journey. So I picked up, a friend of mine picked up the earth is flat on tape from the store and we listened to it on the way home. He was driving and I heard the line, I've been drinking all night. And I immediately thought to myself, this is not for me. Then I saw the frenzy. How old were you then? I think I was 17 years old. Mm. But oh, I was so really you, into... You couldn't, you couldn't relate. I was really into Judge at the time. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I was Which beginning... is so funny because you find out later on how interconnected all those oh, guys I know. are. Mike playing with Mark and... Yeah. Uh, you know, but... But then I saw how people kind of went wild for the Super Touch merch. And we talked about that, that there was kind of what, uh, two resurgences of it. I think there was kind of early 2000s and 2010s was really started. People started going crazy for it. I know this because Colin Kimball, bit of Bo, got a Super Touch Earth is Flat poster from Rev and sold it for an insane amount of money around the early 2000s. And I was surprised by that. So I always thought there was something I was missing with them. So I'd give it a try every now and again, and I just wasn't pumped on it. It just didn't hit me. And then I told them, but I'll say it again, Greg said, you should really give this record a listen. And so I walked around and listened to it with headphones, and it finally hit me because I think this is a really big lyric band. I think if you're into lyrics, if you're into wording, I think that you have to appreciate this record. And I definitely do. That's not saying Bib's not an insanely awesome guitar player and the drumming is phenomenal. And the fucking the bass, bass playing sick too. So yeah, yeah. The, the whole... bass playing's crazy good. But uh, yeah, this, I mean, this year, this record hit me. And I think maybe that has something to do with that line. I think, Greg, I think I might've texted you. Did he just say um, a pregnant mother says, what should I do? Yeah. Cause that shit blew my mind. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And something when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't have recognized the, how, you know, how good the lyric writing was on that. Also, I've been drinking all night, starting out the record. Now that I'm older, I realize that was intentional. Yeah. Well, we, and we talked, we talked, got to talk about it with Mark and it just, it sets the mood for the whole record. Um, I've made no secret. This is, in my top, as far as revelation proper, so no reissues or discographies, but LPs, this is in my top five. Uh, okay. And it's, and maybe even 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been, even though I've always loved them. But like, I feel like as each year passes by, I love it more and more. Um, I can clearly remember buying it. I got the CD uh, when I was a freshman in college, like I said in the interview. Uh, the same day as underdog demos. And honestly, let's be real. I'm not talking about prowess or this or that or uh-huh. influence. The two coolest front men from this scene, 
and I'm talking cool. And I think people know Richie and Mark, like they're the guys where like you wanted to sit at their table in the cafeteria. <laughs> and, that, and that's what, just what I think. There's amazing front men that we've already talked about so many, but as far yeah. as like coolest, I think people know what I mean. Just the style and the whole vibe. I just think those guys nail it. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, so it's kind of funny that I got both of those records like at the same time. The Super Touch, I agree with you. I just think the lyrics are so good. Yeah. I think the vocal delivery is great. Um, and I love that Mark talked really about that. Well, they both talked about their influences and they were not the normal uh, influences for the bands of that New York scene with yeah. you know, the Pete Townsend stuff from Biv. And of course, Mark and talking about Scream, because I hear a lot of that later Scream when they added more like rock elements. And I think that's what really like sucks me in yeah. to them. But not everybody, you know, this is sort of a polarized. I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone that just thinks it's OK. There's people that either dislike it or love it. But Hav, I know you, you know, you've, I, and I think we even talked about it in the compilation ones. You maybe are in between because you're not like, you don't hate it, but I'm calling you out a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, hmm. Just be real. We're all real here. Yeah. So I used to dislike it straight up. I was like, I don't like this. Not even like this is not for me. Like this, like I don't enjoy this at all. Listening to it more, actually sitting down with the album and listening to it made me appreciate it at least. Yeah. I won't turn it off. I don't reach for it. It's not one of my favorites, but I, everything that you guys have said about it I can agree with and I can appreciate it for what it is. Mm -hmm. when, <laughs> when we were doing the interview and Mark was like, oh yeah, I listened to the antimatter episode. And I was like, oh fuck, what did I say about this song? What did I say about Super Touch? Like, is he going to be bummed? Because, you know, but you know what? If there's anything that I've learned with this podcast, it's that you cannot have a thin skin when it comes to things that you're recording, whether it be a album or a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever, there's going to be people who have criticisms of it. And if you let those criticisms affect you, then it's going to really fuck you up. So uh, the earth is flat is not one of my favorite rev releases. I appreciate its time and place. I actually, um, went on uh, the Justified Arrogance blog and there was a link to download the entire discography. So that's like live on WNYU, um, the EP, the Antimatter, and the Lost My Way record I actually really liked. Um, I could tell that there was some like effects on his voice and it was a little bit different. Uh, it seemed a little bit more... I get 90s, I guess you could say. Um, I didn't really like the the flexi on Triple B as much. Um, 
But uh, I I appreciate the artwork, especially of this record, the yeah. the handwriting, um, the the other side with the engine lyrics, um, the Earth is flat writing, the starkness of the white on the black, then with the blue accents and like the photos, it kind of almost paved a way for bands like Elliot. You know, for for their artwork, um, I could see where other bands could draw inspiration from that, and to learn that even uh, they took it from a jazz record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's cool. It's it was cool to learn all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I appreciate it, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna diss anyone for liking this record, but you know, it's just. It doesn't grab me the way that it grabs other people. I don't think it really, I think what what I learned about this LP is that um, it's not something that, it's a slow burn, but something that you learn to appreciate start to finish. And I think that those are kind of the best records. But um, yeah, and we talked about the lyrics and the lyric writing. I was really happy. I picked up a copy of this at Vinyl Conflict and to hold the record in your hand and to see all the handwritten lyrics written out. And I talked to Mark about it because I really appreciated for grabbing hold. The lyrics to the song aren't written down. What is written down is it says, grabbing hold is about any person, place, or thing that takes you away from your usual frame of mind and makes you feel underlined good. And that is just fucking awesome. poetry. Yeah. And I love that. So Spe- Speaking of poetry, uh, Mark hit me up after. And he stated that um, when I wrote the Earth is Flat poem, I liked the contrast of stating something so ab- absolutely absurd as a fact. Felt like there was some conviction in that title. I thought the juxtaposition was interesting. I picked a statement that probably every single person in the world would have said was false. And I sort of made a truth out of it. It's crazy that 30 years later, that there's a large group of people who actually believe that the earth is flat. Mm. Um, and I love that stuff. And I, yeah. I think um, I was thinking about lost my way that Hav mentioned. Um, Hav, did you know that Guav? did the layout for that. I'm looking oh, at the, uh, I didn't know that. No, um, that's cool. I, I bought it on iTunes when it came out and it's funny for me, I was like a little bit let down because I loved the earth is flat and the antimatter comp song so much. Um, and it's grown on me. I actually have a vinyl copy coming. It is I mean, different, I, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crazy. It is different. different. It's no, it's way, different. Yeah. It's, it's different enough where, if someone said they only liked that and not the other stuff, I wouldn't be like, you're crazy. Like, it's not like saying, um, I only like two songs on the first hate breed album, but not the rest of the first album. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, but, uh, it, it, again, that lost my way grew on me. And I, and I, I asked Mark about the effects on the vocals and I, cause I think that was what let me down. Cause I think his voice sounds so great, but, yeah. Hearing him talk about it again made me listen to it in a new light. And also uh Dean Baltalonis, who produced uh Lost My Way, and he's working on the new album, which I cannot wait to hear. He plays bass on this seven inch. Mm. And uh 
you know, I, I worked with Dean a bunch in one up. Mm-hmm. As I said, he recorded all the, uh, all our stuff besides the demo and he's an incredibly talented and rad dude. So, um, bit of bow to him. Cool. I thought the song on America's hardcore was fucking awesome. Me too. I think that song is great. I don't know Me why too. it's not on streaming, but I think it's a great song. And I got to say, this record, The Earth is Flat and The Slipknot 7-inch are the two records that I've grown to appreciate by doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I missed out on those two. So give them a yeah, shot. Slipknot, I didn't know until we had to do the research. There's going to be a whole bunch more records that are going to fucking blow your mind in the next <laughs> year or so, I'm telling you. Hey, like when you become a convert to the cult of Rochambeau, I might get there. <laughs> you will. You will. Mark my words. You will. Yeah. Can't, I can't Mark fucking wait for that. My yeah. words. Yeah. You know, um, if you have a chance, so maybe we'll post it on uh, Instagram. I, I, th- I don't know if we should do a hard post, but an Instagram story of in the record aficionado book, um, which if you're interested in Revelation Records, we're not affiliated with this book at all. We just think that it's a tremendous resource. There is an ad from 1990. It's in the Super Touch section of this book. And it has a bunch of almost like alternate artworks for the Inside Out 7-inch, the Judge 7-inch, the Earth is Flat, the Burn 7-inch, and the Ray and Porcel 7-inch. Like just slight differences where it would be like oh that would be cool if they did a reissue that kind of looked a little bit different like that so um shout out to record aficionado book and um yeah it's pretty cool yeah we often call that that book's our bible yeah it's the jason jason had said I think to both of us, he said, what are we going to do when, when <laughs> we're, we're, we're past the record of, fish, I know. which is we're coming. Isn't it? Yeah, like we're yeah. the last one is the last great sea, but that's, but, uh, and that yeah. even skipped like 80 releases. Yo, yeah. You know what? I think we're done after Ray and um, Porcel. Yeah. That's kind of the last one. The there. burn for, Oh yeah. Yeah. So burn, burn, Ray and Porcel. And then it does have the last great sea, which is for some reason, I don't know why they would be in here. It's rev one Oh eight. He yeah. wrote, uh, he said it's his favorite release. And so he just wanted to throw it in there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's cool. cool. He was just like, fuck yeah. it. I'm gonna... And that seven inch, I can't wait to talk about Ooh. that in like yeah. four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's yes, so yes. good. I was glad when they repressed it. Um, well, so maybe of- our Instagram will just have to be the continuing version of the Record Aficionado book. We'll just all have to do a better job of documenting you know, the stuff that's at Rev, which I do, I get to go and I take pictures of stuff, but uh, maybe we'll just have to make sure that it's, uh, you know, it, it holds up to this standard. Yeah. Swissy volume one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while speaking of, speaking of burn, mm-hmm. that's up next. It is. Yeah. The burn, Rev 22. The burn self-titled seven inch doesn't have a name. Sorry to say if anyone calls doesn't, it. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't need, need, need a name. Doesn't need yeah. a name. Yeah. It's, it's the pinnacle. Rev 22. Um, 90, still, we're still in 91, right? Yeah. Mine's, mine's copyright 90, but as we move into 92. Yeah. No, still in a room without a view. No, nothing. Hit us up, Zach. Yeah. 
we know you we know you love super touch we know you're listening <laughs> hit us up part three inside out baby yeah all right anything else we got to talk about no just i am so excited to talk about burn yeah i know we all are so. yes cool all right well i guess we'll see you next time see you later bye What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where When podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Ed Goodlife, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, John Cowell, Dollar Slice Bootlegs, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, O'Neill, the Horse Fucker, Siren Records, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, and Mike the Mosher. If you'd like more information on how to help us out on Patreon, go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. See you next time.